African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Thank you for joining us right here on uh, Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms on DSTV Channel. We're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Hey, remember, we're also online where you can stream us live internationally. That's on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at the Tunisian elections that were taking place this past weekend. We know that it's something that you can't run away from looking at the context of Tunisia because elections are important because that's what they wanted, especially when you look back at the Arab Spring and the reasons behind the Arab Spring that weren't making international headlines everywhere years back. So these elections were taking place. Actually, there was a low voter turnout. We should ask the questions, why did we see that happening? And also, we're going to see a runoff, meaning that no one was able to get a majority vote out of these elections. So interesting time for Tunisia. Also, a lot of contradictions when you look at the country historically when it comes to its politics. We'll unpack that after this news update. And Musa is standing by. In the headlines, the ICC appeals the acquittal of former Ivorian President Laurent Gbagbo on charges of involvement in deadly post-election violence. France donates 66 million U.S. dollars in aid for Sudan's transitional government. And South African lobby group Every Forum CEO Ernest Roots found not in contempt of court for posting a picture of the old South African flag. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. International criminal court prosecutors have appealed the acquittal of former Ivorian President Laurent Gbagbo and a youth minister on charges of involvement in deadly post-election violence in Côte d'Ivoire. Judges acquitted Gbagbo and Charles Blogod in January after ruling that prosecutors failed to satisfy the burden of proof in their presentation of evidence. Prosecutor Fatal Ben Soda in a written notice of appeal said the reason reasons judges gave for their acquittals were legally and procedurally defective and urged appeals judges to declare a mistrial. More than 3,000 people were killed in 2010 and 2011 after Bagbo refused to accept his electoral defeat to current Ivorian President Alassana Ouattara. France has donated 66 million US dollars in aid for Sudan's transitional government. France says it would also like to accompany Sudan in its path to full reintegration in the concert of nations and in the rapid conclusion of a peace agreement with all rebel movements. French representative Jean-Yves Ladrain was speaking alongside his Sudanese counterpart Asma Abdallah who was named in a government sworn in last week following a power-sharing deal between the military and civilian groups. He says France will also lobby with European partners for Sudan to be removed from the United States list of countries it considers state sponsors of terrorism.
South Africa has apologized to Nigeria over a spate of attacks in which Nigerians and other foreigners have been targeted. A special envoy from South Africa presented an apology from President Cyril Ramaphosa to his Nigerian counterpart Mohamedou Buhari in Abuja. Jeff Khadebe told Buhari that the South African government condemned the violence and was taking decisive action. Khadebe says 10 people died during the attacks, two Zimbabweans and eight South Africans. While the diplomatic mission is taking place, Nigeria has continued to evacuate its citizens from South Africa. The Johannesburg High Court in South Africa has found that lobby group Afri Forum CEO Ernest Roots has was not in contempt of court for posting a picture of the old South African flag on Twitter. The Nelson Mandela Foundation submitted an urgent application to the court after Roots displayed a picture of the old flag on Twitter just hours after the Equality Court ruled that gratuitous displays of the flag constituted hate speech, harassment and unfair fair discrimination. The foundation is of the view that Ruud's actions were in bad faith and in contempt of court. 45 African researchers from 12 countries have been selected to participate in a career development program for innovative research and solutions to help African farmers adapt to climate change. The five-year program is expected to train researchers that can assist with policy recommendation that will help the continent be more food secure. Sirakimani reports. It's going to be really important that emerging junior scientists from Europe have an understanding of the priorities of African researchers and the context within which researchers on this continent do their research. And they will not learn that if they are not taught, if they are not exposed, and if they're not given the opportunity to learn under African scientists. Recapping the top stories, the RCC appeals the acquittal of former Ivorian President Laurent Gbagbo on charges of involvement in deadly post-election violence. France donates 66 million US dollars in aid for Sudan's transitional government. And South African lobby group AfriForum CEO Ernest Roots found not in contempt of court for posting a picture of the old South African flag. Thank you very much, and for that update, remember at around 11.45 Central African time, we'll get our business news, and thereafter we'll have our sports at around 11.50 Central African time. Thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue, where from Monday to Friday, we contextualize the big issues on the African continent. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatama, this hour. And as I mentioned, today we're going to be looking at Tunisia, an important country indeed, especially historically. When you look at uh, modern politics, when when you see the Arab Spring as something that really define kind of the axis of uh, African politics and um, activism and, and civil rights. So these elections are not something light to look at, but they also come with their own contradictions and also insights that you wonder, okay, why did they have a vote, a low voter turnout when there was that Arab Spring that took place? I'm sure people should be going out to the polls and making sure that they're 
participate. But now we know that the Tunisians will now have to hold a runoff elections after candidates failed to receive an outright majority in the presidential elections held this past weekend. It is now reported that the runoff elections will be held on the 29th of September. That's the date that's been given online still to be verified uh, concretely. But these elections come after the death of the country's first democratically elected President Beji Saeed Asepsi and the turnout was at a low 45% uh, despite attempts made to call for young people in Tunisia to vote. Well, let's listen to this interview because my colleague earlier spoke to the representative from the Commission of uh, the Elections, that's Ayandam Kwanazi, who was speaking to uh, Kauta Ebis, who was uh, talking about how counting was coming along and also just the context of what so far is happening when it comes to uh, voter counting. We are almost done. So this is the day. Today is going to be the day that they're going to announce the results a little bit later. You know, it's not easy. They have to uh, do it correctly, perfectly, so no one will doubt about the results. So, yeah. When voters went to the polls, were there any uh, hiccups? Did everything go smoothly? Any incidents that were reported? No, not yet. Uh, you know, I don't think uh, now this, uh, of course, uh, of course, accidents happen. Not in here, in uh, in our office in South Africa. Uh, but in Tunisia, yes, uh, so many people, they reported, uh, like, accidents, uh, things happened, like, uh, people, they didn't find their names on the list. People, they post on uh, Facebook with uh, showing which uh, candidate did they choose, which is uh, strictly not allowed to, to take the phone with you to the to the vote. Will there be any penalties against those people? Absolutely. If, if uh, the accident is, is um, well documented with name and uh, and uh, pictures of the person, yeah, that person will definitely get uh, a penalty. Uh, the penalty is uh, 2,000 uh, now, and mm. it go up to one uh, year of jail. Now, you confident that the voting was free and fair? Yes, absolutely. No, we it was perfectly done. Uh, we had uh, our police, poli- the diplomatic police, in the embassy where we we, we did the elections. Mm. Uh, nothing reported. No one uh, complained about the, the the whole process. What about in instances where there might be a possibility of a vote recount? Is there a time frame when that would have to happen? It's unlikely that uh, this will happen because the count um, must be done on the presence of the representative of the political party. Mm. So there are presence there. Each party, each, each candidate have its, uh, its representative in the election office and uh, they are counting, like uh, they are watching the count. How many people went to the polls in Tunisia? The government agency in charge of organizing and supervising the election and the referendum in Tunisia. Uh, they counted 7 million Tunisians to go to the election. Mm-hmm. 7 million were eligible to vote. 
Well, uh, that's the voice uh, there of uh, uh, Tunisia's uh, Kauta Abis, who was uh, heading the election commission um, in South Africa, but giving us a context of what was happening in Tunisia. But to, to look at this uh, process for the country, uh, it's important because it's their uh, second democratically election uh, that is uh, taking place. Um, let's uh, bring in uh, Professor Begim Gomezulu, who is uh, from the University. University of Western Cape's politics department. I think he's quickly becoming a, a, a residential commentator for us here on African Dialogue. Thank you, Professor Mkomazulu, for uh, coming into this conversation. Another expert who's also another person we speak to on a base on a on a regular in South Africa is Ibrahim Dean, who is the researcher at the Afro Middle East Center. It's great to speak to you, Ibrahim. I know the last time we had a problem with lines and couldn't get you into the conversation when we were speaking about Algeria, but it's great having you in our program on the line. Let me see if we have Professor David Kawua. I'm not sure if we have him on our Skype line. Not yet, but we'll see if we can uh, get hold of him. I'm not sure if we will, but if we do, he's an Associate Professor of International Studies at the University of Nottingham. Let me start with you, um, Ibrahim, because the last time we were supposed to have you on the show and we didn't have you on the show, so thank you for giving us your time once again and being patient even the last time with our technicality. So welcome back to our program. Program. Thanks for having me any any time. Now, you know, let me ask the first question in terms of around the fact that we saw this whole Arab Spring thing happening in uh, uh, the Arab world or even North Africa, to be more specific, um, Ibrahim. And now we're seeing contradictions that are coming out with the voter apathy in the country. And we're seeing that there's not a huge participation by uh, the people of Tunisia in these particular elections. What's happening, especially with this contradiction? Yeah. I think uh, we need to, you know, when we look at elections, it's very important to look at what does elections symbolize and what do they represent. And what do they symbolize and represent is generally uh, uh, the population's need or want to actually have a say in how the situations and what decisions affect them. Uh, and you know, that's why generally after, uh, uh, you know, overthrows of power or changes, uh, in, you know, of, of, uh, overthrows of long-term dictators or resignations of long-term dictators, we see, uh, you know, a higher voter turnout. What happens, and I mean, we see this in South Africa as well, is that once, you know, the population sees that, you know, the economy is worse off, uh, the job situation is worse, security is, is worsening, uh, you know, there, there becomes a, a feeling uh, that, you know, the, the vote doesn't actually mean enough for the person or the individual. Uh, so they calculate, well, most voters calculate that, it doesn't matter whether I vote or who I vote for because it's not going to change the, you know, the decision or going to change my situation. Also in Tunisia, you know, there has been, yet this is the second presidential election, but there's been uh, two parliamentary elections, two legislative elections, there's another two elections scheduled for October. So there's also, in a sense, uh, you know, voter fatigue, especially when we're not seeing anything change when, you know, people just see political parties splitting up. Uh, and, and that's why the voter turnout is less now than in 2014, uh, you know, where the voter turnout was around, what, 60%. Mm, mm. Let me come to you, uh, Professor Mgomezulu. What, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, this contradiction that uh, Ibrahim has uh, elaborated upon? 
No, I agree entirely with him. Uh, if you look at it in the broader context, uh, there was a moment in time uh, during the Arab Spring when uh, emotions ran high, when the excitement was there. But then, since then, uh, that excitement has subsequently subsided. So, which means then that um, the situation that prevailed at the time in 2011 is no longer in existence now. That is one main contributing factor for me. But then secondly, if you look at uh, uh, the now deceased president, uh, that is the present side, there are people who held him in high esteem for the manner in which he handled uh, what appeared to be an untenable situation. So with him out of the picture, there are people who have voted uh, uh, before but are now reluctant to do so because they don't have that motivating factor. Because if you compare him maybe with the uh, current uh, presidential candidates, as much as they are politicians in their own right, but then maybe in terms of political stature, you would say that you cannot equate them to um, a present time. So I think for me, those are the two main factors uh, that could have contributed to uh, what appears to be voter apathy. Because if you look at the numbers, they are not promising at all for a country that has done very well uh, in terms of what has been happening during the Arab Spring and then how they resuscitated from the situation, you would have expected them to uh, go to the uh, politicians sure. in numbers. But that, that has, been the case. It has not been the case. Okay, let me stay with you, Professor Gomezulu, because also that youth demographic uh, seems to also be kind of resistant to the whole political process, kind of replicating what we saw in South Africa's recent election. What's happening there? No, the issue of demographics uh, uh, plays a role, but also what contributes, especially in this case, is also uh, the issue of uh, religious orientation and then, of course, uh, looking at the people who are either in support of uh, the usurping of power by force and those who are for the democratic approach to uh, uh, taking power. So those are some of um, uh, the contributing factors. So then what, mean, well, well, what then happens is that uh, depending on the area you are looking at, you will find that the reasons for voter apathy might not be exactly the same. Even though uh, overall we might say they are doing the same thing, they are staying away from the polling stations, but they might be staying away for different reasons. So it's quite important then uh, to look at the issues that my colleague Ibrahim has been uh, talking about. That uh, the local context is quite important mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the analysis. All right, I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back uh, to uh, some of the thoughts there. Especially when you look at the candidates' composition, there was a mixed bag in that regard in terms of independent candidates versus established candidates. What does that say about the country's democracy? But also, is there a trust level with the, the this particular uh, mixed bag of uh, candidates. I know that uh, uh, we might see this runoff being between Kais Saeed, who is uh, a law professor and also seems to be an independent uh, politician. And also uh, we know that uh, Saeed was on an 18.9% on Monday night ahead of uh, imprisoned uh, media magnate Nabil uh, Karui, who was on 15.5% at that particular time according to the electoral commission so we'll look at the, those dynamics of the candidates that were standing up and uh, did they have a trust factor and did that actually create a deficit in the turnout uh, this time around you are listening to channel africa uh, let's take a quick break
Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa. Yeah, we are proudly African and yes, we are here to, uh, without any uh, reservation, to give you the African perspective. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Moshatam, on our various platforms. Remember on DSTV, we're on Channel 802 on Audio Bouquet. And if you're streaming us live, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za. We have to hold uh, uh, our politicians accountable and also make sure that uh, our processes of governance are taking place smoothly and I know it hasn't been a talking point because it has been kind of a very um, quiet election in Tunisia but doesn't mean that we don't have to talk about it because it's still important especially when it comes to a democratization on the African continent and not only that but also human rights uh, analysis on the human on, on the African continent well today we're speaking to Ibrahim Dean researcher at the Afro Middle East Center and joining us as well from Cape Town at the University of Western Cape's Politics Department is Professor Peggy Ngomezul. Now let's look at the mixed bag of uh, candidates with you, Ibrahim. I mean, as I mentioned already, the people that I've mentioned that I have been leading at the last time we checked was law professor and political uh, independent Kais Sayed, and also we saw Nabil Karui, who is uh, um, a media uh, magnet. Um, very interesting choices there that are people are making it seems that people are moving away uh, from uh, the established candidates and uh, vying for independence yes it kind of shows uh, as we we're talking about earlier is disillusionment with the political process and the political unit and so we're seeing you know candidates move i mean at least uh, voters move away from these uh, the, you know basically getting outsiders I mean, significantly, uh, the two outsiders are very different personalities. Uh, you know, we see uh, Kais Saeed being a law professor, very articulate, uh, also more on the conservative spectrum, and uh, Nabil Karoui, they, who they compare to um, uh, Silvio Berlusconi. You know, has his own TV station, gives a lot of charity, and uh, you know, is able to publicize it. You know, with this. Um, with the TV uh, station, but I mean, mm. Ruiz, uh, Victor, uh, you know, uh, position is also informed by the fact that he was jailed uh, roughly a month ago uh, on fraud and corruption charges. Now, the fraud and corruption charges could be very credible, but the, you know, the timing of these charges is very political. It, it, it's not coincidental. You know, this occurred after uh, the current prime minister, also running for presidency, uh, Yusuf Chaid basically uh, passed a law, wanted a law passed that would actually not allow him to run, um, mainly because Karoui is one of the few people uh, who pose a threat to child or who, I mean, and I think now we see with the results, did, you know, pose a threat. And so his, his popularity is a result of the fact, or, uh, you know, his charity work, his TV work, but also the jail. Uh, I mean, in terms of the other candidates, it's significant that you know, the former Ben Ali candidate uh, um, has done very uh, badly, Abir Musawi, 
um, and uh, you know, Monsef Mazuki uh, hasn't made it to the top four, who was uh, you know the previous candidate in the 2014 poll. Mm. Uh, your thoughts there on this particular choice uh, that the people seem to be making, who are coming up to vote, Professor Mgomezulu, Very interesting indeed, and it shows that um, there is kind of an apathy to the traditional um, politician of Tunisia. Yes, it shouldn't come as a surprise. If you have been in politics for too long and then uh, uh, you come to the elections, you already have a political baggage. So which means that uh, if you are associated with a particular political party, which has not won the heart of uh, the electorate, you then immediately have um, a, I mean, uh, a mountain to climb, unlike someone who has just come in because that person uh, starts from a clean slate and then people are giving him or her the benefit of the doubt. So it's quite easier then to come as an independent candidate and rock the boat, as it were, than someone who has been in politics for too long. But the other point that is worth mentioning here is that uh, uh, the system that is used in voting also counts uh, in times like this. Like, for example, if we were to take South Africa, where we use a party system, and then uh, most countries use the presidential system, if you vote for a person directly, then it means you have a chance to evaluate that person and then see if indeed that person will meet uh, your needs. But then in the case of a party, you vote for a party because you like the party, only to find that the party disappoints you by having someone you didn't like uh, as your leader. So in this case, it's clear you, you either like this person who's running for the presidency or you don't. In case you don't, then you rather go for the uh, independent um, candidate. Mm. And uh, let's look at maybe the fact that uh, this uh, election came due to the fact that we saw uh, the death of uh, President Beji Asepsi, um, Dr. Mgomezulu. Maybe that's why people are not really keen because it was a circumstantial election. No, absolutely. As I indicated earlier on, that uh, if you look at the, the, the late president, uh, he was in fact um, uh, praised by a number of people both within and outside Tunisia for the role he played in terms of trying to bring the country together and in terms of uh, um, uh, reaching out uh, to those who are on the opposition. Basically, he has done a lot of things uh, that uh, impressed the Tunisians. So with him now late, it means that the people who have voted for him were he alive are now looking for other options or they decide not to vote, not to vote at all. So basically, uh, his demise, in fact, has uh, um, uh, been a disservice to the people of Tunisia in the sense that uh, they now have uh, very few options to choose from. But if you were still alive, we'll be speaking a different story. Even the voter turnout that we're complaining about wouldn't be where it is today. Mm, what are your thoughts on that, Ibrahim? Uh, um, um, the fact that um, this is um, an election that comes on the heels of uh, a leadership vacuum. I think, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting to note that Tunisia, you know, the election and as many are, are, are raving about it, the fact that there really wasn't a leadership vacuum uh, in Tunisia and hasn't been. Uh, you know, KRB said Sebsi passed away less than a day after he passed away, uh, Chai took over. You know, the acting speaker of parliament became, uh, you know, a Nahta candidate, so, uh, with Abdul Fattah Muru. Um, so, you know, it, it, the election was what, what the, uh, you know, the, the, the results, we can argue that or look at the fact that 
the election was brought forward by a week or two, right? Uh, or a month or two. The election was supposed to happen in November after the parliamentary vote. So preparations were a bit uh, impaired because it was two months less for campaigning. Uh, you know, party like NAHDA would not have um, uh, put forward a candidate uh, had the presidential election probably been after the parliamentary vote. Yeah. So they were forced in a sense. So it did change the situation on the ground in terms of how parties reacted. You know, as we were saying, uh, Yusuf Chayed, for example, uh, the parliament passed a law basically barring Nabil Karoui from running. Yeah. Had that law been signed off by the president, sure, sure. Karoui wouldn't have been able to run. Yeah. So it's changed that, but not necessarily the turnout. You know, the turnout uh, is more uh, uh, a result of uh, disillusionment. Uh, you know, uh, and, and we see this in the, in, as you said, in the candidate choices, mm-hmm. you know, choosing outsiders rather than people, you know, trusted politicians, because you know most uh, their fate in the in the politics or in politics being able to impact their lives positively is waning. Mm. All right. Very interesting uh, thoughts there coming from Ibrahim, uh, also correcting us there on some assertions. Very interesting times for Tunisia. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'd like us to look at that particular issue, that the fact that it seems like there are economic situations in the country that are creating that uh, the fact that people are kind of tired of the politics and um, uh, security threats. We know there's also some political instability, as was alluded to to there by Ibrahim but I'm going to take a quick break and then when we come back we'll look at uh, the real issues on the ground especially sometimes we can focus on candidates but sometimes it's really the social or the economic environment that informs um, the the politics and the apathy when it comes to uh, the voting process. Yeah, you're listening to African Dialogue. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of, of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by Design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. 
Yeah, we are the voice of the African Renaissance and we come to you from an African perspective. And today we are looking at uh, the Tunisian elections that uh, took place uh, just this past weekend. It seems there's going to be a runoff election. If you're just joining us now as candidates have failed to receive an outright majority in the presidential elections that were held this past Sunday. Uh, it is uh, said online that uh, uh, the runoff elections will be on the 20. 9th of September and uh, it, it's interesting to know that uh, they also just come uh, not under really a plan but uh, after the death of the country's first democratically elected president Beji Saeed uh, Sepsi passed away and uh, we know that the voter turnout that we as we've been discussing most of the show has been only at 45% and uh, you know Ibrahim you've been highlighting challenges especially challenges that uh, are more social and economic in the country that have created the apathy that uh, we've seen in this election. Can you uh, unpack those for us so we understand the context uh, that you've been uh, speaking upon? So, I mean, when we look at the, the Arab uprising in Tunisia initially, it was caused because of you know, the unemployment rate uh, increased and youth employment uh, was double that of normal unemployment. Specifically, you know, Tunisia is one of the most educated societies in the world, right? Um, and so this was also uh, worsened by structural adjustment programs, lack of economic growth, and eventually we had a situation where we have a graduate who was selling fruits, uh, and a policeman stopped him, or she stopped the fruit vendor and uh, took away his, uh, confiscated his fruit and he, you know, self-inhalized and started the, you know, the uprising in a sense, or sparked the uprising. What's happened in the preceding years is, you know, there has been no real change in economic situation. Um, I mean, youth unemployment in some places like Pasarine, like Altif, is uh, double that, uh, that then was seen in 2011, sitting at 40, 45%. Uh, you know, this has been worsened by a, a, a few things. One is, you know, the, the instability caused by the Islamic State group, you know, the conflict in Libya, uh, and also the fact that, uh, you know, Tunisia has very strong trade unions, uh, which has impeded, uh, you know, proper policy reform. Uh, and uh, IMF bailout that has been, you know, has been, has been, had been negotiated. So these aspects have meant that, you know, the ordinary Tunisian now, has more freedoms in the sense that he has more right to speak, but less abilities to use these freedoms. Uh, you know, unemployment is high. Uh, and this is why people were voting for candidates like Karui, for example, who, you mm. know, because of it, he was quite rich, um, was uh, involved in a lot of charitable work, specifically in what we would call the hinterlands. Mm. Yeah, is in split between the coast and the hinterlands. The coast is the very middle class wealthy population, the lower classes are actually in the hinterlands. And you know, this, this has meant that, that, as I said, many, many are, are, were reticent to, to, to vote. And also, significantly, you know, Tunisia's current system, constitutionally, the president doesn't have much power in terms of uh, domestic politics. Uh, his power is mainly concerned with uh, internal security and foreign policy. Uh, and, you know, that's also inhibiting people from voting because he's not going to change the job situation that's done by parliament.
Mm. And let's talk about this um, issue of uh, the candidates, because I did speak about the fact that Nabil Karui is um, imprisoned. And uh, um, it's very interesting to see that the 56-year-old magnet is, uh, has been behind bars since August 23 on charges of money, money laundering. How did it happen that he could actually participate in, in, in the election in itself? That's a very interesting uh, case. There. I mean, um, I think it's it's a sign of uh, uh, you know a sign of the pro- progression of Tunisian democracy in itself. Um, you know, uh, he already the electoral campaign already passed his candidacy prior to the okay. so uh, he was part of the you know the voters that uh, the candidates had already been sanctioned by the higher elector you know uh, independent electoral commission. Uh, and so he could participate. Uh, Yusuf Chai had uh, the prime minister also running for now, uh, you know, tried to bar him from participating, but significantly, well, most other candidates or most other political parties, including Nahda, uh, which I think is the loser now in, because of his participation, actually supported him participating. So the idea is that, you know, until a decision is made, or until a decision is made that says he can't uh, rule the country because of the, the you know, his his commission or committing of certain acts, that they will allow him to run. Um, and in actual fact, uh, as we've been saying, is the the jailing or his imprisonment actually, uh, you know, enhanced his campaign. Uh, uh, mm. You know, many saw him as this as this person being able to fight the political elite and that's why they want him behind bars. Very interesting indeed. Um, let me take one more break, uh, staying with you there, Ibrahim. And I know that we've lost uh, Professor Begim Gomezul. I think he had another engagement to attend. He's outside of the country, but I think he gave us a good assessment. And maybe when we come back, uh, definitely we'll look at the process from here on. I know that the runoff elections are very interesting. And also the electoral system is very uh, different uh, in uh, Tunisia. We'll speak about those dynamics um, in terms terms of will the parliamentary elections be um uh, maybe the process will be halted by this runoff. Uh, we can speak uh, just around a little bit on the uh, election process in Tunisia because I think for our listeners it will be good for them to get that context. I'm with Ibrahim Dean, researcher at Afro Mill East Centre. We're speaking about Tunisia. Uh, they're going to hold runoff elections after candidates failed to actually uh, receive a majority in these elections that took place this past Sunday. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy, of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything.